MFs, welcome back to another episode of Hustle Like You Broke. Today, for the record, I want to make note that we are recording. It is Thursday, June 4. And I say that specifically because where we drop an episode is not always representative of the day, the week that we record. And what's happening in the world right now is pretty fucked up. I'm hoping by the time this drops, be it a week or two from now, that things will be better. But I just want to share a little perspective on where we are from our point of view. I think one of the major themes that I embrace out of what's happened recently is the importance of everyone with a voice using it. So, long and short, shit's fucked up. We have a severe absence of leadership coming from our loser of a president. If that offends anybody, as I've said before, I don't give a fuck. In fact, I kind of hope if it does offend you, you either tune out or think a little more about the things that we have to say. Because one day, people will be measured against the way they felt about this president. And I am proud to be on record with my feelings because I am completely discontent, unhappy. I think he is unequivocally the worst thing to happen in this country in a long time. Although I hope the silver lining is that people rally around each other in support of each other, be it against him or simply in favor of the rest of us. Because coming together is what we need to do right now looking to our left, looking to our right, embracing those people who are different, recognizing and appreciating who they are, what they represent, even if we disagree. And that's kind of the kicker, because we're not always going to come from the same place. We're not always going to see the same thing. We don't share the same common experience, experiences with one another. But we're all human. We all have hopes. We all have dreams, we all have aspirations, we all have families, at least I hope. And, and we need to accept that and embrace that in one another. So it's good to see mayors, governors, even police chiefs speaking out in favor of some of the protests that are happening in this country, embracing those perspectives of anger and discontent, acknowledging the Black Lives Matter movement for the first time in some cases, it seems, and speaking out against our president, Republican governor from Massachusetts, my home state, speaking out against the president, and I wholeheartedly appreciate that. Because protesting, rallying, all you fucking Second Amendment assholes who, who, who speak out about their, their, their guns but denounce the First Amendment? Excuse me, if you embrace the Constitution, you need to embrace the whole fucking Constitution and not just the parts you agree with. And the First Amendment, for those who don't know, include freedom of speech and the right to assemble. And I know among our podcast, among our community, because we are spread out just among us hosts. We've got Dallas down in Miami. How are you, Dallas? 
I am great, a little wet due to the uh, storm we got going through here, but otherwise handling, coping. And then we've got Kyle and Chris, who are a little closer to some of the action out in the L.A. area. Kyle, how are you? Uh, I'm here. I'm here, and I'm here. Um, just, I'm just here. And uh, I hear you are adapting a little more of Chris's tone. Chris, otherwise known as my good brother Banks, has been sounding like he's been listening to a little too much Sunday Night Slow Jams lately. And uh, we all appreciate know what that means. But uh, Brother Banks, talk to us. I am present. I am dealing with everything that's happening in Los Angeles um, firsthand. Like I said, in my neighborhood, uh, they're preparing for protests, so businesses are getting boarded up, and I'm having to talk to my daughter about what's happening. Um, so it's it's uh, there's a lot going on here. Well, you indicated previously that you've actually seen some of these protesting and some of this unfortunate uh, mayhem up close and personal is that right yeah i uh was working on a project just the next city over and uh protests came just the other day and you know had to go in and secure some of the items you know so that they weren't looted by the people who were breaking off from the protest to cause mayhem and destruction uh you know i've had to travel to a few of the projects you know, in the midst of these curfews and had to deal with the law enforcement, you know, even this wasn't even after the curfew. This is, you know, within the time you're supposed to be traveling, you know, to and from work and even having to deal with, you know, police officers and explaining where I'm going and what I'm doing and where I'm coming from and what my purpose is and all that. Yeah, I've, I've been in it firsthand. And like I said, in my community, you know, they're preparing and a lot of the locals are not going to accept anybody breaking off from protest to loot. So a lot of the citizens, business owners, uh, we have a lot of uh, longshoremen here because I live right by the ports. So they've assembled uh, to basically protect the neighborhood. Well, I know in my neighborhood, and I live just south of Boston, I know in Boston there has been mostly peaceful protesting. There have been a couple of smaller incidents, I'm, I'm sad to report, but mostly peaceful. And in my neighborhood, just south of the city, there was a vigil, as they called it, a couple of nights ago. Was it last night? Two nights ago? And I know a number of businesses were boarded up, but I also know that it was peaceful, that it was nonviolent, that it was apparently well-received within the community, no issues, and certainly we aspire to that, although I, I, still, I still find myself asking the question whether a peaceful protest really has enough influence, whether it really does, sends the message. I, I, I just don't know the answer to that. I mean, if people can't express how angry they are, and sometimes that anger and frustration results in less than desirable 
ends, um, you know, how do we achieve the greater good? I, I don't have the answer. And, and along those lines, I know in the entertainment industry on Tuesday, they had what was called Blackout Tuesday this past week, the other day. And in theory, I, I certainly appreciate the intent, but I want to ask my fellow co-hosts, was it effective? Kyle, Chris, Dallas? Uh, absolutely not. Because, I mean, you think about all the, the high-powered, you know, people the in the black community who have, you know, say so. I mean, where is, on any given moment, where is your, where is Oprah? Where is Gail? Gosh, it's, Where's Tyler Perry's act? All these people, none of them saying anything. They all hiding behind a little punk ass tweet here or there. Where are all these heavy hitters that, you know, speak all this shit? But for Christmas, they go take all these people uh, shit off of off of uh, um, uh, I don't know what it is. Um, layaway, all this, all this irrelevant shit. But nobody's out here for the for the real stuff that's going down. I mean, we literally watched a 2020 version of a public lynching and <clears throat> all people can say is, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's a painful time and we need to heal. We're beyond healing. We need to get to the root and shut this shit down before you can heal. We're not, we're not even close to healing yet. I think I want to say, yeah, I, I think, I understand what Kyle is saying, and it, 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 that's definitely, you know, the feeling amongst the black community and people that feel like, you know, the, the leaders and the people that matter, who have power, who have influence, they definitely haven't stepped up. I believe that what was happening on social media was a start, you know. Um, I've since then have several conversations with people who wanted to understand more, you know, and, and it's... Not that people were just, you know, sticking their head in the sand, but people don't understand that this isn't just about one person. This isn't just about what happened to George, George Floyd. This is about, you know, multiple murders that have taken place in this country. This is about police brutality. This is about just a lots, lots more than just what we've seen in the past couple of weeks. And I think that conversation was started from people seeing, you know, how many people were involved and how many people were affected. So I think it's, it's started a conversation. It's, it started people to just basically wake up and say, Hey, you know, shit is fucked up. Um, of course it could be more effective, you know, from our leaders, from people that actually matter, who have influence and are supposed to represent, you know, the black community. Yeah. But People seeing it, you know, on a scale like that, on a large scale, gets people to talking. And I think that that's a start. Yeah, they're not going to say anything because they don't want to fuck up their brand, fuck up their money. Because once we come out of all this, they still have to go back to work and figure it all out. So they're still depending on those those other finances. I mean, hell, the cops are still out of control. I mean, you've seen reporters who who come from a different um, perspective. Now, all of a sudden, they're getting pepper sprayed and hit with batons and shit. Now they feel the real wrath of it. But prior to, oh, you know, a little peaceful rally, and then, on the, and then somehow it gets spun. But now that they get on the other end of that billy, billy club or the other end of getting that pepper spray in their eyes, now they see it from a whole different light. Well, Kyle, I, I hope you're wrong about that. I mean, again, the, in terms of people being willing to speak out, you 
the thought that first came to my mind when you said that is, you know, of course, going back to Michael Jordan years ago saying Republicans buy sneakers too. But I think he caught a lot of shit for that. And even more recently during the the last dance and all of that, it kind of came up again. And, and I think there is a bit of a sea change in more people that are willing to go on record and speak out. Do you not think so? It's been relatively quiet. And if, if any time for you to go out and speak out and say anything and you have influence would be right now. And there's a lot of quiet people out there. But when, the, but when but when the cameras go on, all of a sudden it's about love. It's about this. It's about paying it forward. It's about helping out, giving back. They right now sitting at their lovely establishments, looking at television, saying, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe when the cameras come back on, then I say something. But right now, I'm going to just hide behind maybe a little drop, a little tweeter here, a little tweet here, a little IG post here, some fists here. But you're not saying shit. You're not saying a damn thing, and you're not being vocal. You're not out there in the thick of it. And, you know, it's 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 unfortunate that, you know, you do everything to protect your brand now when, like, regardless of who you are, on, a, on one suspect night, a cop could wear you all the way out and then say he reached for this, he reached for that. Meanwhile, you were at home saying when you could have said something to help bring change about, especially in the climate right now. Well, as I said before, I hope by the time this aired that things have changed, moved forward for the better, and I hope that uh, more people will have spoken out in rendering what you just said incorrect, because I'd like to believe... I mean, I led with the fact that everyone with a voice should use it, and uh, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, Certainly, JMB have spoken up, and I appreciate them for that. I agree that many more should. Dallas, you've worked with both. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think that those that really understand the humanity and the human crisis and have the ability to speak up should absolutely do so. Um, yeah, I, I've had the pleasure of working for both artists mentioned, um, and they both are very much humanitarians in my experience. Um, this whole thing, though, is systemic, and you know, the boiling point has been reached. What happens now is obviously the most critical part of what we do next in this chapter. But you know, can America collectively get it together to do the right thing. You know, um, Spike Lee spoke out, people have, but it confounds me why we're still seeing this brutality. I mean, if if the, these top cops, whatever the names for, you know, their titles in each governing area can't get it together to tell their you know, underlings how to behave and how to treat people properly. And it's just, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I know everybody has to have the conversation. It needs to be in everybody's living room. When I say everybody, I probably mean the, the, the white folk, the people that haven't had to deal with this who are predominantly white, but maybe they're white in color, but, you know, culturally they come from somewhere else and they've had some other problem being here in this country but I think the melon issue and how that's um seen here is just 
you know, extraordinary and it needs to be fixed. Well, I mean, a perfect example, of course, would be Drew Brees, right? I mean, you'd think this person knows better. He's been a, you know, cultural hero to many for years. He's made hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, he's per- played football at the highest level alongside teammates representing many different nationalities, many different cultures, black, white, red, brown, what have you. And, you know, his immediate response is to fall back on that dumb ass, ignorant opinion that fucking kneeling for the flag is disrespectful to the military. Like what the fuck is wrong with these people? And of course he backed off that quickly because he got called out for it. And whether he wrote his response or some publicist said, Hey, dumbass, post this. I, I, I don't know. He's, he said his truth already. And exactly. we know where he's at with it. His teammates know where he's at with it. His apology don't mean absolute shit. It means absolutely nothing. So when he get his back broken this this year, because they're going to let one of the linemen is going to let a linebacker come and wear his ass all the way out, is because they know his how his truth is. So if I were him, I would say, you know what? This was my last year of football. Last year was my last year of football. Go, go home and go right away into the sunset because he's going to get hurt that he will get hurt this year. I mean, that, that would definitely be the coward's way out in my opinion, but I can't dispute what you're saying. They're going to wear his ass out. They're going to break his back, break his legs, give him some sort of not dirty. Well, it will be a dirty hit, but it'll be brought on because they're saying this is how he really thinks. So since this is how you feel, we're going to show you some true pain. Well, be that as it may, the the larger point I was trying to make is, you know, in spite of all his opportunity, in spite of his wealth, his exposure to culture, to other people, he still falls back on ignorance. And, and, And that is, unfortunately, the case with millions of Americans. Millions. You're 100% right. I mean, I, I said a couple of weeks ago, before all this shit, I'm pretty sure that ignorance is a pandemic. And racism is also a pandemic, born out of ignorance and fear. And, uh, and, and that is the world, that is the country that we live in. Meanwhile, lest anyone forgot, We still have another pandemic happening here in the United States and across the globe called COVID-19. So moving away from the topic of racism, though I'm happy to keep going, I think that we should strongly consider an entire episode, dedicating an entire episode or series to that topic, however much we can talk about it, to move the needle in the right direction. I am open to doing so. But we are dealing with this COVID-19. And we're seeing overseas that things are starting to get better elsewhere around the world. In New Zealand, where I believe they are down to their to one active case, they just did their first small club show last weekend. It was a 150-cap club. It was a comedy show. They had 90 people there, 60% capacity. So we're not talking about an arena-level production. 
But it came off. And it was successful from my understanding. And now we see that across the Nordics, Finland, Denmark, they're talking about venues up to 500 capacity reopening. And I have a client myself based in the Netherlands that's doing a shoot for a commercial right now in Germany. And I saw a bunch of back behind the scenes footage of what's been going on there. And people aren't wearing masks. I know that they were taking precautions. I know that we had substantial conversation about security measures and safety measures and making sure that distance was being acknowledged, appreciated, respected, that space was uh, was was being considered, that health and safety was given the utmost respect. But my point is, you know, life is starting to go on in these countries. I'm not seeing that here. I'm, I'm waiting to hear the path forward. I know that, again, we've seen any number of issues of people violating space restrictions, uh, social distancing ordinances, certainly during these protests, though in that case, I, you know, I, I, I don't mean to say I give a pass, but certainly takes a different uh, tone, different direction. It begs questions whether there will be clusters or outbreaks, but I mean, at the end of the day, I'm still left saying, what the fuck is wrong with our country? And I still think the answer is zero fucking leadership. And again, I'm looking at you, Mr. Trump. You you force people out of your way, assaulting nonviolent protesters in order to hold up a Bible in front of a church. That doesn't make you a leader. It makes you a fucking poser. That's all you are. And... Uh, with that in mind, that aside, we do have a special guest here today, and I know she's been very quietly standing by. I'm sure she's got something to say. I certainly welcome that. She is the niece of a former guest, so our first family member to join the program, the niece of Charity Lomax, who joined us a few weeks ago. Charity was great. We had a lot of fun with her. Wonderful woman, lot to say. And uh, today, Again, her niece, she has been a singer-songwriter and background vocalist. She's experienced in publishing. She may be the most rounded guest in memory that I'm aware of. She worked for VIP Nation for a number of years. She's been a production coordinator as well as a tour manager. She's toured with Kanye, with Janet, with Chris Brown. Don't get me started on him. She's got her own show on SoundCloud. She has her own YouTube channel. And perhaps most interesting me to me, she's worked with Ice Cube's Big Three Basketball League. I'd definitely like to hear a little bit about that. Perhaps she has a unique perspective on the return of sports in America. She is coming to us from the D.C. area. Please welcome to the program, Ashley Lomax. Hello, hello, everyone. It's very good to be here. I didn't realize my aunt had done an interview, so I'm really touched to know I'm the next family member of someone else to be a part. Thanks for having me. Well, she was on time. Oh, oh, I, bet, I bet she was. Thank you very much, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. you're there already. 
Ashley, oh, I know yeah. you're going to give it right back to him. So I, I, I'm glad to have you around. Obviously, to our guests, there is some familiarity between Kyle and Ashley. And, uh, <laughs> yes. That tends to result in some good ribbing, as we know Kyle likes to give it. And uh, Well, I was, I was really lucky. My first tour had Kyle involved in it. So I walked into touring with knowing you have to start shit and finish it with Kyle. So. Is that the reason you're fortunate? Because I, I'm, I'm struggling to wonder if there is other reasons why you may have been so fortunate. No, no, no. Other, other. I mean, my, you know, my first tour was one of the most eye-opening and diverse things I didn't exactly know existed. If you looked at working on tours on a local level at the time, um, there was a lot I took in. You know, that first week, I'd never seen that many women in positions. I had never, quite frankly, seen that many people of color at the same time. So I was very receptive to meeting everybody and making friends. You know, some people were pleasant, some people weren't. <laughs> but by the end of the tour, it was a very well-rounded, eye-opening experience. And Kyle is a part of it because I traveled this world with Kyle in it too. So, you know, it was it was the best thing that could have happened in my opinion. Now, all these years later, I'm not sure. <laughs> Speaking Fair of enough. which, I think you relate to the Stevie Wonder show that I got you tickets to, weren't you? <laughs> Yes, so you never I am consistently late. <laughs> waka waka. Yeah, uh, actually, some other family members have some ties to the Stevie Wonder thing, so it it turned into a lengthy day when it should have just been I walked in and sat down. But yes, Kyle has always made sure that I had a great time. I was I was timely at the championship tour, so you know. <laughs> now, <sighs> yeah. During our quick hits later in the episode, we always ask a series of questions and. The first one is to tell us a little more about your first tour. So since you've already brought it up, tell us about that. I mean, who was the artist, if you don't mind us asking? And and it yeah. sounds like you did, you did have a rounded crew party, which frankly is not always the case. So great to hear there were a number of women. Great to hear there was cultural diversity. Um, I'd love to hear who that was. Sure. Yeah. My first tour was for Janet Jackson's uh, Unbreakable Tour. So as I like to put it, kind of the tour before the baby. Um, and I always kind of told myself if it ended out that I ended up touring, if the first three tours I got were like my bucket lists, I really kind of didn't care what came after. And that's what happened. So, you know, the first one was Janet Jackson. The second one was Slipknot. And the third was Kanye kind of back to back to back. But um, my first tour was great. Uh, it ended up that my aunt was road manager on it at the same time. Um, it ended up kind of funny how it went. She kind of told my grandmother, don't tell Ashley I got it. I told my grandmother, don't tell my aunt I got it, because I wasn't sure if she took the position. So the first day of work when I came to get my credentials, my aunt was sitting there. Um, so in the sake of security, it was really comforting at first, just because worst case, if I really didn't know a soul, I knew someone. Um, but she was also great at the time about being about, I'm B party, you're C party, and have a great tour. <laughs> so... Um, I was really separated because in the bigger picture, I worked for a company that was on the tour. So my relationship was with Live Nation being on this tour. So there was some distance with some things where I had to do my own thing and then others where, you know, everyone would come together. Um, I think it was great to, to meet, you know, the production managers and the stage managers who were just incredible um, vets in the industry. And then to have the opportunity to get to know everyone else over time. Half of them wanted to make fun of me or get at me because I'm Charity's niece. The other half were, you know, what are you about? You know, because we're pretty, we're, we're similar and we're pretty different. Um, and so it was great. You know, I went across the country 
and I got to Japan, which was a shock I didn't expect. And uh, so I got to see this, 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 this country and this world from a lens on a tour with people who toured over 10, 20 years. So I was really, you know, taught certain things, you know, my Jen Jacobs, a wonderful wardrobe person taught me how to shop on a day off and, you know, other, other cast, you know, other crew members, you know, you want to go eat at that nice place, go do it. And, uh, you know, just as time has gone by, it, it still rings back as one of the really good memories I've had with uh, touring. I think Janet, especially being a Jackson fan, um, was one of the last places I expected to be, let alone on her tour, uh, like overseeing a museum of her actual things. So there was a museum that she had on the tour that was like, a, you know, like her actual Rhythm Nation outfit, the Grammys, uh, portraits from home, stuff from their childhood home. So there was a lot of um, importance that I understood for being a fan of them. So it was kind of like, I understood why the fan would be crying if they saw this thing. I understood, you know, if a fan had felt a way about the timing of something not starting at the right time, you know, I understood it from from both sides, being an artist and being a fan. So I think it was the best way to start touring because it was very, very open. <laughs> so. And just so we understand, what was then your role coming at this from the Live Nation side? You were- VIP coordinator. Yeah, I was okay. doing VIP coordinator. Excellent, excellent. I was hoping you would say that because I knew, again, that you had done some of that. And we haven't had a VIP coordinator on this program yet. Uh, the perspective, oh, nice. yeah, of, of the the perspective of of the VIP nation, how that gets integrated into a tour, how that fits that role, what it is. Could you tell us a little bit about that, please? Absolutely. Uh, the 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 layman's way I like to say it to people is that there's these upgraded packages that are a part of most major arena tours um, based out of companies, major companies like Live Nation having a subsidiary company called VIP Nation. And what comes with it is, is within the purchase of your ticket, it guarantees you a seat, you know, let's say within the first 10 rows of the floor, there might be, it depends on the tour, but some would have like a VIP party. Some would do a meet and greet with the artist. Others would just get like early access to merch without the public there yet. Um, so there's a very variation of ways that they're implemented. And Janet's in particular was uh, to be able to walk through a museum of her stuff that you would never get to see really um, as long as you had purchased the album. So it was pretty clever. It was show me you actually have the album on your Apple Music or whatever, and then come on in. Every once in a while, she was awesome and would come in herself and act like a mannequin and maybe let five, six people go by, and then she'd surprise someone. And every once in a while, take a picture and, and then go backstage. Um, so in the, the Janet version of it, which is different than other tours, um, it was a lot more interactive, and uh, it turned to about 400 to 1,000 people a day, depending what city or country we were in. Um, me and another gentleman named Brent pretty much ran that. So that would be 14 road cases a day, you know, tr putting on a truss, like a six foot carpet that Michael got made of her, the Rhythm Nation covered, like the things that we had were just, it was, it was a bit nerve wracking at first to not mess anything up physically. That was always my concern, but then it turns into in my day, I have to uh, hire assistants and then there's advancing and budgeting for the VIP locations and for what comes with it, whether there's food and beverage. So that's kind of how the days would go on. So it would be, a, you know, six to eight assistants to help us set this up and then kind of wrangle people in the midst of it. And that was how her VIP package went on that tour. 
You needed 18 people for 14 road cases? No, I said six to eight people <laughs> for 14 road cases. <laughs> now, they would always complain about pushing them, but we would always get them to where Malcolm would want us to put them for loadout. So. That's terrible. Well, Ashley, oh, we know man. somebody else on that we know somebody else on this podcast who, you know, would complain about pushing a road case too, don't we? <laughs> I bet you do. Some white glove. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, you can, you I get that so badly. <laughs> I remember I earned these gloves. I didn't start off pushing. I didn't start off just <clears throat> walking in at whatever time I walk in. This was earned. So I got my sweat on. Uh-huh. I actually learned about the term white glovers from that tour, in fact, because I had a <laughs> and I'll tell you exactly why it came from one day. I must have I must have went out to the show or like was watching on the floor. And obviously, I don't know anyone in the crowd, but I do know who's in front of house and who's whatever. And when it was over, it's like he got up, got his backpack and walked off. And I remember <laughs> I remember asking my aunt, hey, 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 why did that guy just get up and like leave? <laughs> she was like, he's was called a white glover. It's like, oh, okay, got it. Wow, no shade, no shade. Hard, making sure twenty thousand people got their needs met musically. I didn't. I, now, I, I, I left. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say is, the years have gone by, and I've gone to other shows. I I understand a bit of it now. I really, I really do. I've had conversations with audio people to ask, and I've gotten some enlightening answers. So I don't really have a lot to say about it. Kyle's Kyle's answer is 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 you know, it's correct. It's not wrong. There's some people out here who have paid their just due and should have the time to go on back and get first after show. Come on, Ashley. Well, don't go soft on now. Show, wow. Was, I, I actually ordered it. I didn't. I don't have to get dibs. Okay. Oh. I'm just saying. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Even no, on the after on, show. Hey, look, look. I'm I'm hospitality coordinator on Chris Brown for the past three years, so my relationship with people now is is based around your necessities. So. I have different dialogue about these type of things now than when I was doing VIP. But yeah, Janet was great. Janet was a great time. I I was very fortunate to uh, uh, be on that tour and to see this country from the representation and and kind of from the backstage eyes of her. her So I have, I have a real, a serious question for you. Yeah. Were you ever late? (laughs) Was I ever late on Janet? No, because I was petrified. I was petrified. Malcolm would have left you. You know that, right? Oh, yeah. Malcolm would have absolutely left me. And that was one of the first things that I found out when I got my credentials. (laughs) Derek asked me what my favorite food was. I answered him. And then right in the same breath, Malcolm was in the room. And he had said, you know, if you fuck up or you're not on time, I'll leave you. And I remember looking at my aunt. She just nodded. She was like, I didn't got shit to do with me. Yeah. So, no, I was very afraid of it. Not to mention, um, I was also on the bus with like her glam squad and her head of security. So I was kind of in a non-excusable, you need to get up and off the bus kind of environment. So, so, no. for, a, so for a podcast of this caliber, which is centered around you, why were you late? <laughs> I was honestly late because I completely forgot that I needed to go through Google Chrome to do the Zencaster thing, but I also didn't have a link sent to me. So I had my bio, I had everything Whoa. sent in like I was supposed to, but I didn't so, have a link so, sent. So this is tech support's issue? Wow. Slightly. Sam it's half mine, bar. half tech support. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. Wow. He's going to be unhappy about that one. And of course, he's not even here to be able to uh, To represent, you. of course. That's pretty rough. 
<laughs> Sorry, Sam. All right. Well, you know, let's back that bus back up over Sam and uh, move on. So <laughs> go back a little bit before the touring, though, because, again, as I understand it, you were a singer. Is that right? Yeah, on a, on a local level in Baltimore, D.C. area, a lot more towards Baltimore. Um, I've been an independent singer-songwriter pretty much since 19. Um, I released my first EP, I think, at 19, and then pretty much just didn't release another one, kind of until this pandemic, strangely enough. But it came from, um, I got distracted by my career pivoting in a different way with touring, because I also acknowledged that me touring would be able to bring back information and tools and stuff back home to the local artists I know that actively tour or actively and solely make their revenue from um, performing. So as time had gone by, uh, I've done, it's, it's kind of backwards. It's almost like I've done our sets of all original music before it ever turned into ever having to do a cover show. So my relationship with being an independent you know, artist was very do-it-yourself grassroots from the beginning. Um, I was really lucky to meet some other artists in Baltimore, such as an artist named Greenspan, another artist named uh, DDM or Dapper Dan Midas, and um, that I've known over the years, and we've all kind of had our careers progress as they have. So I've always had a stake in it. So it's kind of like when I come home off tour, it's a mad dash to get me to record references because people always like to have it where they don't know when I'm coming back. But at the same time, being an artist and being away touring benefited others that I worked for because then it on an optics point, it played into, Ashley's not here today, she's on tour with Janet. So it's like the trade-off of certain things worked itself out, but really, um, I've just always wanted to be self-sufficient and I've always wanted to have the full knowledge in self-sufficiency. So, um, you know, everything comes back to being a singer-songwriter. I think that's the foundation of it all and everything else is the tendrils from it. So speaking Uh, of your musical talents, I recall last time when I saw you at one of my other functions, uh, I inquired about hearing your project. I'm still I emailed it to you. That. Fuck when? that. I emailed it to you. No way. I know I emailed it to you because I made sure to say when I emailed it to you, these are the rough masters. And because the hard drive went down, I was never able to really get a full master mix on it. I, I just Listen, when I left Atlanta, it's the first thing I did when I got back. I ain't I, I slouching on it now. I don't recall. All right, all right, all right. Let's, let's, let's move on from that. Our, the audience that we are speaking to today is not limited to Mr. Kyle Hamilton. So let's him perhaps <laughs> say something that is a little more relevant to the greater good. Thank you, Mr. Motherfucker. Well, opinion. at the end of the day, the greater good is I could have listened to it and then I could broadcast it. I could ha- I actually make it probably one of our uh, bumper intros, but I have and never that, heard and, it. And he's bro. true in that. So, I, will, I will rectify that, Kyle. Look at that. The world revolves around Kyle. Me. Don't forget. <laughs> Try to play you, man. <laughs> You're wonderful. <laughs> I promise. Man. Anyway, okay, mm-hmm. onward. So I, I think it, I, clearly not nearly as important of a question to Kyle, but I am curious about the perspective you gain as both a recording artist as well as somebody who has toured and seen the nuts and bolts of the behind the scenes. And that is something we try to impart on our listeners um, as opposed to simply each other, Kyle. And I, I'm curious your thoughts there. I'm curious, you know, what you think about that perspective. Because again, it was one of our other guests just recently, Meg Dieter actually, who made the comment that she feels like 
people need to learn more about what goes on behind the scenes in the touring industry in order for us to improve and get better. And, you know, everything from the routing of the tour right down to the execution of the details. And not many people see both sides of that the way you have. Not at all. I mean, it's it, I, the best. It, it, I'm fortunate. I'm very, very fortunate. And most times, one of the best things that came out of this is that my aunt had toured for as long as she had. And I had pestered her for years. You know, can I help when you come in town? No. Do you need a assistant for this? No. And it just went that way for so long because my, my family's a bit more self-industrious and you pick your passion, you do it, and we'll support it. Um, so my aunt had always been the person that was in the engineering and touring. And I was always the one that was like the band geek and an artist. So when it ended out that um, one of her friends needed assistance. That's really how I got my first gig into the VIP thing. And then it was just left to my own devices. And then I learned about the networking and how important that really was. You can't just run off of, oh, your aunt so-and-so. It, it works in the best face of someone's going to immediately assume that they'll enjoy your personality because of it or other variants, but it has nothing to do with your actual work ethic. You got to show it. Um, so on tours, one of the things I, I found... I thought was being manipulative of me, but at the same time, I realized it was very clever, was that basically you were paying me to ask everyone on these departments every question I possibly have about everything I could think of to bring it home. And it wasn't out of, uh, you know, trying to be deceptive to others, but more so of trying to understand all the different departments I didn't even know exist. I mean, my first tour, you know, there was a like a masseuse <laughs> on the road with us. I had never even thought of that. I didn't even, in, in the stupidity of it, it's not like I figured there was a touring accountant and there's just other sides to things that I didn't know about audio and video and just the other departments. So having an opportunity to see people's load in and you know, line check, sound check and other different things was really helpful as an artist because then I could come home and fine tune my shows, you know? I could I could ask someone about the monitors and come home and apply it. I could ask someone what was their budget for their club run, <clears throat> excuse me, their club run, and then apply it back home. Um, so the the overlap of it all has been really really good because now I'm in a in a space where I can help another artist on their grassroots level of it, and I can explain the numbers on an arena side to someone for when they get there. Um, and I think that that's, that's been great. Just as my positions have changed, it's opened the, the door a little bit. So on a you know, hospitality point, obviously I've done advancing and budgeting and stuff like that, but the, but, the, but the relationship is different. I have to have a real specific relationship with these 50 to 60 people, um, you know, allergies and <laughs> favorite foods and who likes what, who puts the same stuff on bus dock. And it just turned into the observation of, of, of kind of, cataloging those things. By the time I ended up doing a tour management gig, thankfully it was for a newer, younger artist who had never toured. So it was really malleable for me. And I made sure to not, you know, implement some of the incorrect things that people might do on tour. Um, so now that I've kind of done it in that regard and been a part of it for some years now, it's been the best thing that I impose on a lot of artists, you know, and, and as touring went along, I met a lot of people who I found out were artists as well. Um, and that was eye-opening too, because you know, there's just, you know, some people have their career this way and then others who have their interests and have still figured out how to make it a job and not just a hobby. So uh it's been it's been good in that regard. I just recently a friend of mine had an album release and I convinced him to do an all green screened virtual concert 
last week for it in the middle of the pandemic because a friend of mine who does audio who lives in, in my state and we're in Maryland, his friend owns a production company. So it was it was just you're the you know forward thinking artist in the city. I can't believe you're not doing a virtual concert in the middle of a pandemic. You'd be the one to be able to pull it off for half the money, quite frankly. And we did. He did it in about three hours. The entire thing was done. We released it last week. It got 6,000 views in a day from his following and fan base. So I try to do what I can to be on a think tank for a lot of other things with the opportunities I've seen. Nice. Well, I, you use the word overlap and, and, and the perspective that comes with that. So changing gears just a little bit, talk to us about the overlap between the concert business and the big three basketball business. Oh man, big three is awesome. So the, the I hardly knew much about it. I, I heard of it, but I didn't really understand it. And when I finally got to see it and then be a part of it, um, it's so cool. And maybe because I just assumed that a lot of, you know, uh, uh, after a certain age, you retire in sports and that's just kind of all there is about you besides your legacy, right? So to have it be something almost simplistic where it's like three on three pickup games, but it's really a competition and then to travel with it and then to make it have playoffs and championships as well. Um, I thought I, I found it to be brilliant. Um, one of the best things to me about it was that it, it took, you know, Clyde Drexler or, you know, Dr. J, uh, Gary Payton, and they're the coaches or Lisa Leslie, who, who won coach of the year last year, or, um, you know, a lot of the basketball players you enjoy that you don't know if they're still playing. And I was, um, a lot of it was the weekends. So I didn't have to go physically to so many of them because my hospitality world is spent advancing it before it happens. So I went to a couple of the East coast games. Um, cause I really wanted to see some of my favorite, you know, players I had like growing up in person. Um, it's similar and it's very different. I think it's different because it's not, it's being played more like at the college campus kind of circuit. So almost like, you know, the, the, the college campuses that have venues. Um, it's very similar cause everything is the same load in, you know, load out, making sure sounds in order. A lot of it was similar than different, but I do, I did think that like the locker rooms for the team set up was kind of different. It was a lot more people in one locker room because they're a team and then they're switching out and leaving versus it being every, you know, opener has their room, the artist has their room and everyone has their offices. So um, it was a little different for that, but I think how consistent it was and how it rolled out was really, really cool. <clears throat> An example of something that, not strange, but like cult, like the current culture plays, I think, a lot more into big three. It was always sold out. It was always a big fan base there at the games. Um, a lot of families would bring their kids so they could see their you know, favorite former basketball player. So I thought it was really cool on a generational point. Um, I did find, though, that the last big three came at the time of that obnoxious Popeye sandwich craze. <laughs> so like... More of my days were spent trying to find Popeye sandwiches by the four, like 40 to 50 at a time than, than really anything else. That's what Ice Cube wanted. That's what people wanted. And then one person would see their, like a person's rider switched up to this and then they would have to do it. So it logistically got weird for odd reasons at the end. But I think big three in, in concert runs are very, very similar. It's just, you know, you're watching a game versus sitting around and watching two or three openers and then the main act. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I think it's really cool that it rolls out this way though. And, and who's your favorite player, if I may ask? I was a big Gary Payton kid. 
big, bigger, and bigger. Glove plays in big three. He's a coach. Like he specifically was a coach. So like, uh, like the stupid little like basketball crush I might've had would have been Shannon Brown and like Shannon Brown was on his team, all that other kind of stuff. But I was, I was really tickled, <clears throat> tickled to cross paths with him. Cause I was just like, you know, you might cross paths with someone that you enjoy that's famous, but it was something kind of nerdy to realize Dr. J was there and, uh, Gary Payton. So I definitely was excited to meet Gary Payton and my production coordinator knew it. <laughs> my production manager knew it. I'm coming to this game cause I want to see Gary Payton. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed to hear that Dr. J was there and you were excited to see Gary Payton, but I hear you. I know, okay. but, on, but listen, on a coaching, on a coaching situation, Gary Payton was a great coach. Like, like Dr. J popped his head in into the office and I felt kind of, <laughs> I was kind of flustered. He was like, Oh, hi. <laughs> like, hi. And just kind of left because I just didn't, you'd never think you're going to cross paths with him. You don't, you don't cross, cross paths with Dr. J, you know? So yeah, it was cool. And, and another great coach who was also a great player you mentioned her name, Lisa Leslie. So Yeah, she won Coach of the Year last year. Yeah. So are there women players in the big three? Excuse my ignorance. No. Mm-mm, not that I've seen. Not at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that not was yet. kind of the, the surprising. Well, maybe not yet. But I, I don't know how, you know, basketball is very physical. And there's a lot of women out here that will dust somebody. But I, I don't know if we're in a world yet that's really going to give you co-ed. You know, I don't know. Well, here and now, I don't. I can't imagine I'm the first, but here and now, I want to say, I want to see women playing in big three. Just putting it out there. Oh yeah, it would be it would be the coolest to do it, especially if you got you know not just the ones that you know, but the but the but the players that can play. Um, And I think you know, big three might be a good a good space to do it where it's a little more even keel. There's not anything at stake. You can't take these chances during an actual basketball season. You know. I think there's a little more wiggle room to experiment with these kind of things. Um, but, but I agree with you. I, I think it would be interesting to, to do, but I do think that male pride might have some problems if they get dusted by a chick. <laughs> well, and and so. well, they should, but, but let's, let's relate that back to our business. Now we know, I mean, Dallas is a great example of a woman who has no problem dusting her fellow man backstage with her load in with her work ethic pushing cases like Kyle never would doing all those things doing work Wrong. <laughs> man let me let me let me tell you something really interesting Christine before you before you talk I hope this doesn't come off like a very odd story but this is actually how I came across Christine we were at uh, the garden on the Kanye tour and I think she might have been there for the duration we were there to visit and help out you know some other departments I'm not sure but we were in catering and I was in line and someone else had said to me, do you know Christine Dallas? And I said, no, I don't. And I'm always really excited when there's other females. And I really appreciate females that, that, are, that are direct. And so they were like, you like direct women? That's the one. And it just happened that I was in line behind her at the catering. And the appearance of the catering was shit. Just, it was not appealing. And Christine made it clear to say something like the line had stopped because she was so bothered on it on the bigger picture of like, how could you roll out food this way? Why do you think this is okay? And why do you think that we want to eat it? And I had never seen someone do something like that before and mean it. And I was like, shit. (laughs) It's like, okay. All right. And I, but I never had a chance to really, (laughs) really meet her, but I always stuck to it. I was like, I like what she's staying for. 
she'll call somebody out back here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a little backstory there that, yes, it was kind of under one of my jurisdictions. But, um, yeah, I totally will uh, fight the fight for the crew and anyone I'm working for and working with because I one of my pet aversions is when people are working really hard to go to catering for that, whether it's five minutes or 30 minutes or some people get to spend two hours in there, whatever the case may be. But it should be a pleasant experience. And you know, budgets, budgets aside, you still don't have to serve people disgusting looking food. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, uh, yeah. So I'm and by the time you... I became a hospitality coordinator, it was something that I stuck to. Like, like it's something that I stuck to because of it. I was like, Christine was right. What are you fucking doing today? You guys. So, well, the larger point here, of course, is in relation to the importance of having strong women and not just quality food, though we agree to that. Too, of course. And Dallas, Ashley, I mean, both of you, I'd like to hear a little more perspective on, again, the importance of having strong women in the business. Dallas, you and I talked about a mutual acquaintance of ours, Erin O'Brien, and I told you, I think, just the other day about a story where she literally broke her pinky finger, and it was sticking out in the entirely wrong direction. And we said, you need to go to the hospital. And she's like, nope, I need to finish loading. Then I'll go to the hospital. And she had Mm. the guys around her in line, working their tails off, taking direction. And, you know, she was taking no shit, and she was getting it done. And she is a badass, and I appreciate that every time I see it. And she's a carp, just to be clear. She's a carpenter. Please, thank you. Oh, that's you. awesome. That's mm-hmm. awesome. I, um... No, go ahead, Christine. No, I was just going to say, um, following, I guess, that um, there are women in the business that you have to be strong or you wouldn't be there. I mean, particularly, and I think that's where the floor is relevant and pointing out, in Aaron's case, being a carpenter on the floor. You know, there aren't many women carps. And... The mindset is, you know, and I think I can speak for her in this case because I know I've done it myself. You break yourself, but, the sh- you know, the show hasn't happened. You've got things to do, and it's more important in your mind to get that done than your phys- your own physicality. And sometimes that's um, that can be problematic because, obviously, we have to be whole to keep on going. But that drive and determination is what keeps you in the business and allows you to grow within it, I believe. And I and 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 to piggyback on that, I agree. You know, I do think that there's a lot of structure that comes from women being in these groups on the road. I think that there's, um, you know, a difference of work. <clears throat> excuse me, a difference of organization that women have in some in some spaces that um, benefits and is helpful um, on the road. I think uh, once again, you know, I've had the opportunity to not, you know, not only have a, a, a woman in my family be in, you know, in touring, but, you know, not to be specific and make it a point, but to also have a woman of color in it and to think that there's more of her and then to be shell shocked when I got into it and found out there really wasn't, really wasn't. And then it made my care for meeting new women and getting to know women's positions and stuff like that a lot more important in my mind. Um, you know, we had a female rigor on Kanye around, she was around my age too. And I thought it was remarkable um, and just getting to know women and understanding their position in things, you know, it, it's a tricky kind of, most workforces are not, you know, some, some people want to make their workforce a boys club. And I've been, you know, fortunate to know some people that don't agree with that and some that like to align with that, but in it, 
you know, I know women give 100% of their day, give their work ethic in a really dedicated, you know, diligent approach and, um, you know, take a shower, wake up and go to the next day. I think after a while, I, I was hoping that our industry would, would never have to have the, the you know, the, the prefix before things, you know, like, oh, it's the woman and she does this or just stuff like that. Like, oh, instead of it being like, oh, it's Christine and she does so-and-so. Um, and I think that it's refreshing. I think re visible representation is really important, especially in this day and age. And I think I found out over time, just even with doing VIP and, you know, dealing with 200 to 400 strangers a day in the lobby before they come into the, to, you know, to the show and having people surprised that there's a woman there or, you know, kind of taken aback by it or thinking it's really cool. One of the best things that's ever happened is other meeting other women and them asking or being like, you know, oh, I wish I had your job or how did you get into this? And, you know, and I'll answer them frankly, because in my case, you know, I hire assistants in every city to be a part of the VIP thing. So, you know, I'm never against giving someone the opportunity. You're going to show yourself whether you're good or bad once you get to the day of it. But um, I think the extension in the, in the female networking is a thing that's also kind of very important in this too, or else you'll be on a tour circuit and just living with guys and not see another female that isn't quote unquote, maybe the partner of someone that's on tour. Um, and I've had that too, but you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just impressed that now we're in an age where the numbers in this are so much higher. And there's a lot of women who don't want to be labeled for something that they aren't. They just want to work, you know? Um, and that can get tricky. It's real easy, I think, for people to get distracted on tour. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's really easy to not prioritize what you're really here for, so. So, Shifting topics a little bit, and I really appreciate you sharing all of that about women in the industry. I would imagine you highlight some of that in your shows on SoundCloud and YouTube. Why don't you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, sure. I used to have a podcast on SoundCloud um, called The Ashley Alexander Show, and it kind of came, at first came from, I love Inside the Actor Studio, and I love James Lipton, and I always thought that he asked really good questions to provoke a conversation. Um, so a space in between, like, my love of Questlove and his music knowledge and the history behind it, which I kind of have in the back of my head, too, and being able to ask someone a real present question about something and get in detail and kind of incorporate new music I listened to that week at the same time. So that was kind of what that meshed into. Um, once the pandemic hit, quite frankly, and I was home and was trying to figure out what I was going to do just to occupy my mind, I was like, okay, well, I used to be a part of an album review show on YouTube. Every couple of weeks since I've been young, people will ask, what are you listening to? What are you listening to? When CDs were burnt, that used to be, can you burn me a CD? That's not what it is now. So I um, started just getting back up once around March, just doing album reviews. And then from it, I came to the decision of, all right, if I can ask some of my tour friends to sit down together and just have a conversation, even in this instance, not about what's going on with the pandemic, but everything before it and what we need to do strategy-wise after it into what our career is going to be and become. I also acknowledged that there's a lot of people, a lot of single people who aren't seeing another face for days on end because they're, you know, by themselves. And on a networking point, I didn't know who knew each other on a touring situation. So they were, they've been really cool because some people haven't seen the other's face in years. And then this was the platform to say hello and catch up. And then 
you know, a lot of the topics, I kept the topics the same. It's just the people that changed. So I was really lucky to have a diverse amount of people to interview, like, you know, a female bus driver, um, a couple truck drivers, some vets in the production side of things and, and pretty much every department to some degree is from carps to audio to video. Um, and having really honest conversations with e with each other. There's a lot of things I didn't think about um, until I had did these eight or nine interviews. I mean, stuff like, you know, you'll have a, a certain department person say, I'm not doing well in this time because my job is hands-on. I can sit in a webinar all day, but that has nothing to do with touching something and really, you know, learning some equipment um, in, in real time, and I don't have access to it. Um, there were other conversations that, that were had, you know, on stuff like one of the things I always brought up was, was travel, you know, flying and on buses and how do we all feel about that? And to have, you know, a bus driver ask others, how do you feel about being with 12 people on a bus? And then us ask her back, how do you feel being on a bus with 12 people? Just, just the little variant things that I didn't think about. And someone eventually had asked me, you know, what does this mean for meet and greets for you? Like, so it's been really informative and it's been really eye-opening just because of filling in the blanks on the stuff you're not thinking about at the time while everyone's quarantines started at different times and everyone's across the country so um yeah so somewhere between album reviews and doing interviews with artists and other touring professionals that's kind of how we've got the youtube channel going and it's uh the ash i guess it's ashley alexander tv just to keep it kind of general so i can kind of do what i want on it um and yeah that's that's the show on youtube so if people wanted to look you up on YouTube, they would search Ash Ashley Alexander TV? Yep, and it would pop right up. There it is. Well, anything else relevant to our discussion that's come up there that you might want to impart on us? From, from what we've been speaking about in general? Yeah. I'm, I'm very glad at what Chris and Kyle had to say. Um, about these times, not to bring it back exactly to that. Uh, I, it's been an interesting time in the midst of all of this, especially with the relationship of what this means for our job in the future. Um, I've been taking it, you know, as I can with stride. I think, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've crossed a riot, a curfew, a lockdown, and having walking papers to be out past 8 o'clock with the Baltimore riot for Freddie Gray um, in a real way for weeks on end with sand trucks and on the streets and just the whole nine. And so I, I have a, I have a different relationship in people's intent with certain things. I, I have a different observation about some of these things um, from my own experiences. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been interesting to navigate. I think uh, there's going to be an interesting sense of resilience and or televised revolution that comes from this. But um no, I'm just I'm just really excited that 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 touring professionals are doing what they can to unite and to have these conversations and tackle a lot of these things, even to find out about one another. One of the things that I think is important is we all know when we get back to work, we're all going to be hitting the ground running. And I'm hopeful that a lot more people will know each other, even if they didn't, you know, because of these you know interviews and webinars and everything else in between. And so I'm hopeful that our industry ends up a little bit a little bit more united than it has already been. I appreciate that perspective. Is there anything else you want to share about what's going on in the world today unrelated to the concert industry? I, you certainly have the floor to share that if you would. Um, I, I, you know, I'm in a space now where I've been home longer than I've been in some years and been trying to navigate that outside of a lot of the things that have been happening for my friends and friends and family just in the, in the, 
um, occurrences of things. I am um, a bit frustrated by some people's silence in the macro and the micro of things. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to do what I can to mind my words a certain way just because, you know, when we all get back together, you know, I just worry about the people who like to remember somebody's like shitty post and it dictates the rest of their work cycle. Um, I'm, I'm just curious on what the infrastructure is going to be and how it's going to change for us on a touring point. Um, one of the things that's come up in a conversation I've had recently was about the thought that tours might bring back skeleton crews and people might end up doing more than one gig to you know, equate to the rate that they are used to based upon what ticket sales are now. Um, so there's a lot of things that I've been paying attention to and trying to prepare myself for. And I think that, you know, for us to have the opportunity to, it might not be the best opportunity to have two, three months sitting at home, but somewhere I think we're going to see the grace that comes from it. There's a lot of anxiety a lot of us don't wake up with right now. There's a lot of room to learn hobbies and do other things we don't ever have the availability to do because we're not home long enough to do it. Um, and so I've tried to impress upon everybody to enjoy a bit of the constructiveness in the space that we have, because when we come back, you know, we might not have this again. So more than one gig equals more than one check. <laughs> That's extremely true. Very true. Um, yeah, I think I think don't, don't have people going out there doing double dig double gigs on one and only getting paid for one. That mess up everything. And and right, and there's that too. And that's some of the questions that's come out of even saying those statements and some people talking about that is the worry of what that means or how you could manipulate it if you wanted to, um, or you know, preying on somebody's just immediate desire to come back to work by any means. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. You need to have some some terms. Yeah, because I mean, I you're think. saving again. I'm doing two gigs. Like, if I'm doing, like, if it's a show that has multiple artists on there, you're saving on rooms, you're saving on airfare, but you're not going to save on the actual work. I can, can I mix two artists? Of course, but I need two checks. I'm not going to, I'm not here to save the whole situation because then it messes it up once everything comes back moving forward. Oh, well, you can mix everybody for the price of right. Rock. No. No, 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 Matt, no. Since that's how you think. I mean, <laughs> I try and put my client's best interest first. That's all I'm going to say. And uh, I appreciate you want your money. You got a question. Mm. You got a question. You know, I actually, Go ahead. I actually have a question for you all. I'm so sorry to cut you off. Christine. I have a question for you all because you all have toured longer than I have. Been we this. don't do questions. We just do answers. Okay, that's fine. How <laughs> how long or how do you feel or what do you feel is going to be the relationship that we as crew members have with our artists? Now, I'm not saying half of us are friends with them. I'm not saying half, you know, most of us reach out to some sort of camaraderie or anything with them. But do you think that their dynamics with us are going to change because of this? No. Good, bad, or indifferent? They're going to say the same. They okay. walk in, hey, what's up, and keep it pushing. Okay. Or they walk okay. in and don't say what's up and keep it pushing. You know, artists are crazy because, mm-hmm. they, again, they have to wow this now new 1,500 people a room night from 20,000. They have to wow right. that. So now, so, now, so now it's an intimate vibe. So they're already uh, have anxiety and everything else going on. So to even have it even more personal, they're going to be more into themselves just to make sure that they're on point. So, I mean, mm. uh 
it's going to be probably, if, if anything, it probably be more of a disconnect with the artist because they're trying to focus on making sure that they, their their insecurities aren't being exposed. I see. No, wait. Okay. Am I'm going to offer a slightly different perspective on this. I, I, I can't dis- discredit anything Kyle just said, but I mean, there were artists that were super, you know, engaging and appreciative and knowledgeable and understanding and embracing their crews before this. And there are those that, that aren't and weren't and won't be. But I do think one thing that will come out of this is there will be those of us, and I'd like to think I and my associates and all of us will be among them, who will be looking to do business better, who we've talked all along in doing this podcast who about creating a better industry coming out of this coming, creating a stronger industry, using this time to better ourselves, to become more diverse. And yes, you're right to your point, Kyle, that some people will look at certain of us who have expanded our capabilities and say, ah, well now they can do more than one job. But to me, the larger, point to be made is more perspective and more understanding can lead to better business, better tours, better touring, better opportunities. And and I want to believe that there are high-level artists out there who want to embrace those that are taking advantage of this time to do better and to learn more and to create a better model coming out of this pandemic in order to produce higher quality tours. That's my perspective. So, Ashley, you've been great. We've kept you for quite a while already. Uh, I, I, I do want to... She was already late. Oh, geez. Thank you, know, you for our having me. don't fucking know that until you, except for you, keep bringing that up. But thank we you. Have to. You got to oh, keep no, it no, real. No. He'll you never got, let me you live got it down. to keep it real. You got to keep it real. You gotta keep it real. <laughs> this show this show is for the working class, not the late class. <laughs> we right. do He's celebrate, right. we do celebrate those working class heroes. And I do think it's safe to say that Ashley falls into that category in spite of what you have to say, Kyle. Unless well, she you... would she would be on the left class because Malcolm would not have kept her. She'd have been gone. Yeah, Malcolm would have dust Malcolm would have left my ass. He's right. But, here's but the I thing. do appreciate the sentiment. She disrespects her own brand this is for her she's <laughs> listen on, kyle's not wrong on that her kyle's not is, wrong on her that. name is on this podcast ashley lomax late <laughs> man well <laughs> ashley i wish you weren't so quick to agree with him but i, I mean he's not wrong but i mean yeah. i'm trying to give the benefit of the doubt I, I mean i was the one you know pissing and moaning about it before we started make no it's mistake. more of the doubt of the benefit <laughs> <laughs> anywho Moving on, uh, we're going to jump into our quick hits. I do want to ask one other question, though, before we do. Now, Kyle likes to think that he's got a nice jumper. I mean, Ashley, do you think he could hang in the big three? Ooh. Now, I actually have seen him play in this life, like randomly on a, on a one-off day. I have. I'm going to give him the confidence to say he could, probably, he could probably got a good, you know, one or two pickup games in him. I, I have faith with that. I don't know if he could ride the whole tourney now, but I take that. Make the it, fact that my game is enough to handle with Ice Cube's big three 
and I do love that show. Do love it by by chance, but because it's real basketball, it's not this soft yeah, team really that people are playing now. You know, Mm-mm. the NBA players Mm-mm. of today cannot hang with those guys who are in the big three. It'd no. be it'd be terrible. No, they can't. Three is that real? You don't. Yeah. You go into paint. You do not call foul. <laughs> right. Today, the, the, today it, you, it really is a lot more street ball. Today you go into paint. You get looked at. You get a technical. What soft mm. ass out of here? <laughs> wow! Good to answer make you, no Matt. Yes, I, I, I give him faith. Yeah, make no mistake. I was hoping you would say a resounding no. So I'm a little disappointed. In <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I've actually you. seen it. If I'd never actually seen him hoop, that'd be one thing. Got it. Well, with that in mind, as we jump into our quick hits, you already told us about your first tour with Janet. Do you have a favorite tour that you care to uh, tell us a little bit about? Oh, man. Uh, Slipknot was great because I was such a Slipknot fan growing up, and I never thought I would ever be on that tour. Um, And from it came working for Stone Sour later, so kind of really working with Corey Taylor, which is one of the best experiences I've had. But probably the best tour, quite honestly, was the one that was the most difficult, and that would be Kanye. That St. Pablo tour was was incredible. And at the time, I knew the importance of, like, uh, what he was doing on a, on a set design point. No rapper had done it this way. You were probably not going to see it like this twice. And, on a, and from it, I found a lot of people who were really moved. I didn't even expect it, but a lot of friends and family I brought to the show who were really impacted by it um, in a lot of different ways. I was having a really tough time at the time, and it was a really cathartic thing to hide in a floor of 2,100 people uninterrupted quite frankly um I learned a lot on that tour I just learned a lot about the politics of certain things I learned a lot about the media and certain things you know it's one thing to be on the floor and hear a rant from him in full and then go to the bus and see how the media edited it very eye-opening for some some spaces um so I always say the Kanye tour was was one that I really am glad that I was a part of nice do you have a single moment or experience that you would consider uh, the best or just a career highlight you can share? One of the, well, meeting Pharrell was like a really cool bucket list thing because I never expected it. And a bunch of people on my tour at the time on Chris Brown, like kind of planned for it to happen, which was, gr- which was great. Um, but I probably my fondest memory was in Japan on Janet. And there was a lot of Michael Jackson impersonators and a lot of Janet impersonators. And one of the things that was great was being able to connect with fans. And so in Japan, you know, they were very kind and courteous. And and one woman in particular spoke to our translator and it said that she and her brother were like uh, two choreographers in in Tokyo that, I'm sorry, Osaka, that uh, really had taught a lot of Janet's dances. And they were going to go to this show together. Her brother had passed away the week before something very insane and she still came and their seats was was the airplane hanger show Osaka or was it no it was I think it was Osaka and her seat was like triple s like something so far back I hadn't even heard of you you know plotting a floor this way and we were given front row tickets to give to fans that was a part of it and she gave like I, I came up to her to like like be Oprah and give her the front row tickets and swap her tickets out. And she didn't understand it in the communication of it. And the translator kept trying to say like, no, you don't have to pay anything. She wants to give them to you. And she was so, uh, so sensitive and so appreciative. And it always stuck with me. And one of the things that came from me to some of Janet's personal crew turned around and told Janet, 
which was I thought was really sweet too. So by the time it got to scream in certain songs and certain dances, she knew Jen. Jan kind of like pointed her out and would acknowledge her because she had a front row seat. And um, I was I, I, that's when I learned about the impact of it. Like you have the power to give someone the experience that they're hoping for. Um, and I never forgot it. She was so sweet. She still speaks to me on Facebook to this day. I don't know how she found me after that, but she did. And every year on my birthday, she always texts me to, on, on Facebook to say, thank you for taking the time to, to care. I'm just a little person in Japan that just wanted to do something in memory of my brother. And I've, I've never forgot it. That's very cool. Sounds a little bit like a stalker, but very cool. She yeah, changed, she changed that too. woman's life forever. And you're going to say yeah, that man. stalker? <laughs> and I didn't... I, I, she a little <laughs> for her. She took her out of the triple oxygen seats. Man, she was in the nosebleeds. Front row Woo! center. Literally, let her brother passes, and she gave her a life cha- a life changing um, memory forever. She would never forget that. And you say she's a you a cold piece. You just trying to bust on me because I've been busting on you. But let's be honest, you have admitted on this very podcast that you don't give a fuck about the people sitting in those seats because they're not I the ones don't, that you are because I, I, I really don't. But he don't. I, but but part of that tour, I was also blessing people from from that dead yep. seat, probably for seat five hundred and twelve. 900 feet outside the venue not even in the venue outside and i've put mm-hmm. people on the front row just because i want to see that you know you literally gave somebody who probably couldn't afford it and yeah. would appreciate it more than a person who could actually buy the 1500 2000 seat on mm-hmm. the floor so those people yep. up top they give you give you a better show than the one who sit there and tell me, entertain me i agree i absolutely agree and if I didn't have access into the VIP world to see tours the way that I did, because in my world of it for so long before I was on a crew, my I'm dealing with the first 300 people and I have to keep them in a certain lifted spirit before they come into this venue, sit down and then want to complain because they're impatient. So I have no choice but to really engage and keep the spirits up as excited as they are as often as I can. And that's my day in, day out. Um, that's just a couple of shots of 1942. <laughs> I found that out later on the Chris Brown tour, what that was, and it tasted pretty, pretty delicious. I'm not the biggest drinker on tour, but um, yeah, you know, those, those, even, even more to have like to hire people to be assistants, and that be their way to get to the show. Because I'll pose to people, do you want to get paid to see the show? Great. I need you to do this, <laughs> and then here you go. Um, so I, I've had to t- take some accountability and take some some real space to acknowledge that there's a lot of people who don't who think that our industry is some magical Mount Olympus you can't get to. And I know it's important sometimes to to let people know it's really not that far off than you think to be a part of it or to have the right experience with it. Um, and maybe because I've done so many meet and greets and I've seen fans up close get the chance to say something to an artist that they wouldn't get a chance to, to do. And, you know, I've seen some artists just roll it off. And I've seen some other artists really take the time um, to see them. And it's important. And I think for Janet, in my head, you know, I just had this idea of what the Jacksons were and what Janet was. And it was really debunked, you know, (laughs) on that tour. It was like, oh, it's really not kind of that hard for you to see her. You just walk in there. She's in there. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was really refreshing to have someone be that big of an artist and make everything that accessible. And then I found out that won't happen often. And then I appreciated it more. There it is. Well, 
obviously I was kidding, by the way, in my comment a minute ago, as if I need to put that out there for <laughs> Kyle and others. Oh, now you're kidding. Oh, you're going to backslide. <laughs> so, is there any one thing about this industry you'd like to change or do better coming out of this pandemic? Oh, man. I would really like, my specific thing is I want us to have a better relationship about our just bus relations. I really need everybody to take showers for real. I really need everybody to not eat out the bag of big chips, pour it in a paper towel. You know what I mean? That's being hospitality as of more than anything else. It's, it's, it's highlighted a lot of strange things that bother me now. Um, but one thing shit. that I, hmm? that's that nasty shit, putting your hands in a bag of chips, pour Man, it in I can't, oh, I can't stand it. Um, but I, but I, I hope that our relations department to department changes because, you know, I've, I've noticed that, you know, it's a bit, it seems to me a bit clicky. Everyone's friends with each other, but they're really kind of isolated to their department. And that's kind of how people feel comfortable keeping it. I, um, I definitely want, I think I want some things to change just in our interpersonal relations. Um, and I, and I definitely want our conduct (laughs) <laughs> with showers and catering and after show to change. They're they're going to, and they're greatly going to because of what's going on with the pandemic. But I, I think I want our, uh, I think I just want some of our, our day in day out things to change. And, and, and if it were to change, it'll make, I think a lot more people not so high strung at times. Um, yeah, I think I want, I think I want us to be different to each other. Because we're going to get it no matter what from the artist a certain way. And we're never going to be understood by the audience to a certain degree. So I would hope that there's a lot more getting to know within our actual crews. So improving interpersonal relations and perhaps some proper etiquette too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hygienically, I would love for some things to change. (laughs) Nice. And to lock the bus too. That's the big no. Oh, and to lock the bus. People oh, never lock the bus. You always go to an unlocked bus. That pisses me all the way off. You know, uh, one thing someone told me recently I didn't even think about is that when he gets on a new tour and, you know, one of the things that he does, which is, I thought was strange, but, like, he takes the air filters out the bay, like, of the bay of the bus to see if the driver changed them before the tour started. Like, I wasn't even thinking about the air that's pumping out through these vents, and <laughs> now it's something that's on my mind for the future. <laughs> So I've had lung surgery in this life, so I really can't play those games. So now it's a new, a new concern. (laughs) Copy that. Well, any additional wisdom you'd like to impart on our listeners before we wrap? Uh, Procrastination gets you nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. And consistency is absolute key. I think it doesn't matter how many people, you know, what your networking circle is, sure. Plenty of people can get you out of something that you get yourself into, but more people are paying attention to the shit you walked yourself into. Um, and, and I think work hard, uh, hard work really doesn't get ignored. It really, really doesn't. And, um, you know, I hope people take this time to better their skills and get certifications and things and make themselves well-rounded and have more skills because there's no excuse at this point, you know, to have not at least, you know, learned a new software or equipment or whatever is in in, in your field. So I hope people are taking the time now to use this time to be, you know, thirsty for knowledge. I I, I just impress that. Whether it's what's going on outside culturally and just 
with our society or what it is for your career. Because if you don't have your skills up and you aren't working out in this time in between, you are going to be exhausted when we get back. So keep up I the diligence. That. Well said, well said. So Ashley, you clearly represent the working class heroes that we speak to for and about. We appreciate you being with us. Any shout outs before we go? Uh, I've always got to give a shout out to the women in the industry. There is so many of us and we all hopefully see each other. And if you don't, you got to find one. Uh, super shout outs to my aunt. Like I said, if I didn't have somebody in it, I would have never known this existed. And uh, more than anything else, you know, I deeply want everyone to keep consistent to the fight that's going on outside. Donate, vote, figure out a way to get a part of something in your arts foundations in your cities or your local government stuff. But I, I, I want everyone to really have some context for everything when we get back on the road. Well said. There it is. So. Vote. Please vote, as Ashley just said. Please vote your conscience. Please vote uh, for a better America. Please take care of each other. Please improve yourselves. Look out for your fellow man, woman, child. Please, uh, let's just make this a better world. Take care of each other. Do better. Be better. Let's hope by the time this podcast airs. The world will be just a little bit better. Perhaps we will have moved past these protests, but hopefully there will be some good to come out of it. And uh, let's hope for the best. I appreciate everybody. I thank you again, Ashley, for being with us. And uh, to our listeners, you can always find us at HLUB Podcast on Instagram at hustlelikeyoubroke.com send us your questions we'll do everything we can to answer them and uh, we appreciate everybody out there 